All right, welcome everybody to our Saturday night sermon. I'm going to be dealing with overcoming the spirit of death and destruction part two. It's a very powerful sermon and a very, both of them, I believe the content in them is life changing. I believe it literally could save some people's lives because there are times when spiritual warfare can be very serious. And this is a very serious topic. And so I want to open with prayer. And I want you guys to really agree with me. So, Father, we thank you for coming mightily upon me and speaking through me. Everything that needs to be spoken, that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us to give us good soil. And that this will be as living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Everything said that needs to be. We submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We bind anything that would try to hinder. We commit to go now from this time together in the word. In Jesus' name, we command it. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking to me the will of God, the purposes of God, everything that needs to be said. And I thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over our sermons and our services. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so hopefully you guys have had a powerful time of worship at home. The heavens are open. The glory is there. All right. Now, <clears throat> what I'm looking at in this particular sermon, just to kind of give you an idea of where I'm going with this. So my wife and I have been through some pretty significant spiritual warfare, some things that I would say actually were kind of scary. And so God has taught us some principles through the years. And this sermon is going to give some of those principles. Last week, I talked about the spirit of death and destruction. Now, as I go through this, keep in mind this scripture, Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So I want you to keep this in mind, that the way the Bible views all the people Jesus ministered to, whether you want to see the sickness being healed or the demons cast out, the way the Bible views Jesus's ministry is right here. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. He was clothed with power. He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. So I want you to view all manner of sickness and disease, all manner of demonic activity as being an enemy, that we, we're not going to accept things. It's an enemy, okay? There's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. And Jesus taught us in, in Matthew, I believe, chapter 18, he taught us that the keys of the kingdom have been given to him. He's given it to us as his people. We have authority to bind and loose. What we bind on earth, bound heaven, loose on earth, loose on, loose on earth, loose in heaven. It says this, on earth as it is heaven, when he gave us the Lord's prayer, he said, pray that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, okay, it was paid for at the cross. And we'll get to that in, later in the sermon, but it's not his will that anybody perish. He paid for sin to be forgiven. It's not his will for people to be sick and diseased and die prematurely. But he paid for that in his back on the cross, paid a great price. Those who have ever seen the Passion of the Christ know that the whipping post was a severe payment. And then he hung on a tree, becoming a curse force, blood dripping his body six hours, nude, mind you, Hanging on that tree, horrible, but he became a curse for us. And what that was, was that blood dripping from his body paid for us to be delivered from Satan's influence, his oppression, his kingdom, his works in our lives. Okay. And so I could go on. He, he died impoverished, the crown of thorns, the sweat of the brow. He paid for poverty to be broken, etc. But you get the idea. It's summed up in the cross. Jesus paid 
for the devil's kingdom and influence to be cleared away and us to come into the blessings given to Abraham, which is summed up in 3 John 2, that we walk in divine health and prosperity as our souls prosper. So that's the will of God, okay? So God views through the scripture here that the people Jesus ministered to, that he was really driving the works of the devil out of their life. He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. So all the sicknesses, all the diseases, all the demonic activity was the oppression of the evil one that Jesus was coming in to drive it out. It's an enemy. All right. So we know that the spirit of death, and I say death and destruction because that's what it does. It's an end time spirit, which I covered last week. I believe the seals, in my personal opinion, the way I see it, is I believe the seals have been popped and are being popped. And I believe we're seeing that through the um, beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs. And we're actually seeing that right now. And we know that the spirit of death is a destiny thief. If it can kill somebody before their time, obviously, but even if he can't, it tries to bring so much death and destruction, death of relationships, the destruction of families, the destruction of ministries, church splits, financial oppression. It wants to destroy and, and hinder people from fulfilling their destiny. And I know that I'm dealing a lot with, right now, revival. I'm looking at a series of historic revivals, and and God just kind of put pause for a moment and got into these true sermons, and, and it would seem on the surface that these are two completely different subjects, but I would submit to you that they're not. What is revival? It is a river of life flowing. It is uh, resurrection life, raised from the dead. It's life, freedom and life. Well, what is the opposite of that? The spirit of death. So death is an enemy of revival. So let me, let me give you some examples. Um, some of the main enemies, I may be getting ahead of myself. I think this might be in a later part of the notes, but some of the great enemies of revival is these spirits, okay? The Jezebel spirit, major major end time spirit, queen of heaven, the whore of Babylon. It has to do with idols. It has to do with immorality. It has to do with bloodshed. And uh, it is all about ungodly control and rebellion. It, it is a a very divisive spirit, but it's a very rebellious spirit. It wants to go up against leaders, turn people against their leaders, divide. It's a major enemy and it cannot be tolerated at all. Okay. The second one is Leviathan. Leviathan is a great destroyer. Okay. And Leviathan is connected to death and destruction. So you're dealing with Leviathan, but Leviathan based spirits would be things that have to do with the spirit of death, premature death and destruction. And then other spirits that are enemies of revival um, would have to be the spirit of Baal. Baal has to do with altars and covenants that have been done by forefathers and even in people's past uh, that, have, that have gotten involved in those type of things in different ways, different religions, Freemasonry, Roman Catholicism, etc. Any area where people have bowed the knee to different idols and altars and, and entered into covenants of different kinds, Baal has come in. And that's very strong in Freemasonry. All right. So I don't want to belabor that, but you see these in our culture in America. You see Baal because of all of the other gods in different ways that are worshipped, including Freemasonry, which is very pervasive in our political structure in different ways, different branches of it, etc. You see it in Jezebel. You see it in Leviathan, 
which is the spirit of pride. And everybody in humanity deals with pride. We have to humble ourselves as we come to know the Lord and repent and walk in humility. But there is a spirit of Leviathan that's a great destroyer. It's a very powerful. And under that, you're dealing with these spirits. You're dealing with, with death. And you're dealing with um, death will work with a spirit of infirmity. Infirmity is more like chronic sickness, but death can be chronic sickness and disease incurable things but something that will lead to premature death whereas infirmity the person may still live but they're they're just chronically infirmed they they can't get around well they're hindered and so though death and infirmity work together and also in our culture you see the spirit of moloch now that is an ancient spirit that came from canaan and it goes back to like um, the worship that was there that involved child sacrifice. So not just human sacrifice, but Moloch seems to have an affinity toward children. So you see that very strongly with abortion. So <clears throat> these are spirits that are in our culture. In America, there's kind of a culture of death. It's like a, a culture, <clears throat> excuse me, that caters to um, women being having abortions and things like that. So it's a catering to death as opposed to catering to life you see so some areas that you might see the spirit of death at work like in our younger generation and and also in the adults but you see people that have tendencies to cut whether it's through sadness suicidal uh, depressed whatever but they have a tendency to cut themselves self-mutilation bloodletting uh, that's uh, that's associated with the spirit of death among other, other things. Also, where you see the gothic type of culture in young people, they dress in dark colors. Uh, it's very depressing, heavy, uh, a lot of suicidal type. That You're going to see a strong spirit of death there. Also, death traffics very powerfully in the realms of the occult. So people that dabble in the occult, and in that you see also uh, vampirism. You see the uh, there's been kind of a culture in our society of people that are messing around with it, whether they actually drink blood or they um, they just dress that way. But it, it's a culture of death and romancing that, romancing death and something that's nocturnal. Uh, it's very suicidal. It's very oppressive. And there's a lot of like sadness in it. That's that's the spirit of death. All right. Now. We see that this needs to be resisted. Now, in Matthew 17, starting with verse 14, when they came to the multitude, Jesus was just up and he came down with Peter, James, and John from the Mount of Transfiguration. A man came running up to Jesus, falling on his knees, and he said to him, Lord, have mercy on my son because he is a lunatic. He's very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So something was possessing this young man, making him crazy, mentally ill, and he ends up being thrown into the fire, thrown into the water, trying to what? Kill him. So there's a spirit of death here. And, Jesus, and anyway, he said, I brought him to your disciples, and they, they couldn't cure him. And so Jesus answered and said, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him. 
and the boy was cured at once. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, well, why couldn't we cast it out, Lord? And he said to them, because of your littleness of faith, you didn't have faith like you needed, number one. And he said, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain, it'll be moved. So faith is the key. But then he goes on to say this. He said, uh, let me finish, move on. He said, you'll say this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Okay, so faith. But then in verse 21, he brings out something very important. He says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So the spirit of death and destruction is a very stubborn type of spirit that has to be driven out by prayer and fasting. Fasting plays a role in overcoming this. And also you can see in this, the, the spirit of death that was trying to kill this boy, uh, you see it manifested with mental illness as well, um, self-destructive behavior. Um, it, it's a horrible spirit, but it's very oppressive. This spirit, I, I want to emphasize that it is not limited to physical death. It wants to cause mental illness. It wants to cause emotional trauma and problems and dysfunction. It wants to cause marital discord and divorce. Uh, it wants to destroy a family, turn people against each other, divide. It wants to destroy church. So, And it wants to suppress finances. And one of the ways it can do that is by getting people in bondage to an illness that they end up medically dealing with medical bills that are exorbitant. And so it, 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 it's something like if you look at the medical insignia, picture for a moment that rod of Asclepius, which goes back to Greek, uh, I don't want to get in that kind of pagan stuff, but it has the two serpents that go around it. Picture there, death and destruction. Picture there, health, financial, you see. It's something that wants to get people in bondage, like, like a python death would wrap and begin to squeeze. Squeeze life out of their physical bodies, but squeeze their finances down and confine. So I'm trying to expose this. It, it comes in very strong through the occult. And let me say too, for some people out there, we're living in the last days, and it's important that some people know this, especially if you're going to be in the ministry, that the ministry is being targeted by witches and Satanists and people like that. And what they do is they'll do their sacrifices and their rituals and they'll conjure and they send it. Let me tell you, around the church of Satan's insignia, you see like a goat head in a pyramid there. But around that, if you read it in Hebrew, it's Leviathan. And you see Leviathan is a key player in Satanism. And so this is this is something that's released. It's like a, a serpent-like spirit, like a little dragon, if you will, that comes in, and it is sent to destroy. It's sent to bring death and destruction. And so people need to be aware of these things because in Christ we're overcomers. We can overcome, but it was paid for at the cross. Now this is where I'm going with this tonight. I want so entrenched, stubborn spirits, not just death. But anything that's been there a long time or something that's generational and it seems to just be entrenched, it's stubborn, doesn't seem like it wants to move for nothing, those type of spirits have to be driven out through prayer and fasting. Well, fasting is a key, okay? Now, death also not only works with the spirit of infirmity, but works with the spirit of fear. 
Don't forget that because the spirit of fear is a key player when you're dealing with death. So prayer and fasting will bring, this is what we need. This is why I'm going to start giving you a few principles. I'm going to give you about five. But prayer and fasting, if you read the book of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prayed and fasted 21 days, a partial fast, and great revelation came to him. Great revelation. A lot of times we're praying and we're commanding something to go. We're standing in faith and it seems like it's not budging. We need to get revelation. This is something only God can show us. We need to know what is the legal ground. What opened the door to this thing? Why is it still here? I, I need some revelation. And when you pray and you fast, God will bring you revelation. And once you get that revelation, then you can pray that revelation and that will bring the breakthrough. The second thing is prayer and fasting helps to bring your, your flesh under subjection. It helps you because your flesh is brought down and your inner spirit man is brought up. It helps you to move out of fear and into faith, okay? And also, whenever you do start getting the victory, you need to deal, number one, you need to deal with the strong man first. So many times, death will be the strong man. You need to deal with that spirit first, bind him and drive him out, and then other spirits. A spirit of infirmity can be a strong man sometimes. Uh, but anyway, you need to get that strong man bound and driven out. Then all the other subordinate ones will flee. Okay. It's usually like a nest of them. So let me give you a couple things. Now, I believe that we're living a time with COVID and all that. Man, it, there's more to this. There's more to this than just a natural sickness. Those that have discernment knows there is some kind of a spirit of death that is riding this pandemic and is trying to cause death, is trying to push that through. And there's a lot of other agendas that are trying to be ridden upon this and pushed through as well. And it's interesting to me, you can read and just do your own homework and draw your own conclusions. But I'm just going to give you some things real quickly about this. But there's coming a time where the Bible says you won't be able to buy or sell without taking a mark on either your right hand or your forehead. And that mark will be a means by which you're able to buy or sell. So in other words, you simply won't be able to go to Walmart or Target or Costco or whatever and get groceries without it. So this is a ser in this pandemic, there's an agenda coming in with that to begin to make it where you're not going to be able to go to certain places. You're not going to be able to go to certain restaurants or shop in certain places without the vaccine. So this is a precursor. It's moving that way. It may be through uh, pandemics and vaccines that something is implemented that eventually will end up on your right hand forehead where it's not just your medical, but it's also your bank account is involved in it too. And it's going to become like a cryptocurrency that you're able to purchase things and you never have cash any longer. It's just through those transactions directly in your bank. That you can check on your phone. So that's where this thing is going. And if you don't play ball, if, if you're not going to take the mark, then you're going to be ostracized and, and it's going to be really hard. And we're already seeing that right now. Even by professing Christians, they'll ostracize that they're getting these things and they're, you know, and then they're what persecuting those that don't. I'm not saying this is the mark of the beast yet because we're not there yet, but it's coming and you can see it. And here's another thing I'm going to give you to think about. 
So in the book of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, it talks about the whore of Babylon. Revelation 17 is the false prophet, and it has to do with the one world religion, which may possibly center out of Rome, the Vatican. The Pope is a good candidate for being a false prophet. Now, I'm not saying he will be, but he's a good candidate for it. There's been an ecumenical move there for years to unite all the religions, etc. So that may be the centerpiece of this. Now, with that said, Revelation 13 shows us the false prophet that implements the mark of the beast. But it says, if you read it, and Revelation 18 then shifts to the Antichrist. He's a politician. And he's going to be using the political. The false prophet uses the spiritual and the religious aspect to bring people together. Of course, they will really persecute true Christians. They will hate true Christians. But there will be a very strong form of counterfeit Christianity involved. Okay. So that's the religious unification. Now, the political, that's going to unite the the uh, various geopolitical sphere of different uh, governments and parliaments and all that kind of coming together. They're going to unite militaries. They're going to unite currency, probably to a one world cryptocurrency that you're able to access through your hand or forehead, through your bank account. And you just won't be able to do anything without that. But that's that's going to be a political thing. But here's what I'm what I want to give you. It says through your sorcery the whole world would be deceived through your sorcery now you do your own homework draw your own conclusions and look this up for yourself but the word sorcery there is pharmakeia and it's where we get the word pharmacy from now how is the whole world going to be brought into some kind of a pharmakeia well could it be through pandemics and through various types of injections could it be just giving you something to think about and so it could be that there's properties that are going to be coming in the days to come and maybe already here and some of these that's going to affect people. I don't I'm just giving you something to think about because the Bible says that through that widespread pharmacia worldwide that people would be deceived by that. They're going to be led astray. So you look that up for yourself. You draw your own conclusions. I'm just giving you things to think about because that's where this thing is eventually going. All right, so um, a couple things. Number one, when you're dealing with a spirit of death and you need to get the victory over this and it's not budging, someone would say, well, how come I took authority? Something's not, nothing's happening. I'm not getting the victory yet. Well, here's the key. You need to remember this. Cancel the legal ground, then drive it out. Those two things. Canceling the legal ground is going to be something that you're going to have to do by revelation. God's going to have to show you how did that thing get in in the first place? Did it come down lines of inheritance generationally? Was there a time of trauma in your life? What Was there a time that you were really depressed and suicidal and, and you said things out of your mouth maybe that you wanted to die or you were praying to die, things like that. So that's an invitation for that spirit. Or was there a time that you got really hurt and through that you got bitter? That's a door. Or was there a time that you, you really had hatred in your heart? You see, hate is murder. That, that's death. So it could be any number of things. It, it could be when you got involved in the occult. Now let me tell you, in the occult world, 
part of that has to do with seances and what's called necromancy. Necromancy is any type of consulting the dead. So whether it's a seance or it's a Ouija board, however you're trying to commune with the dead. But can't you see just right there that that has to do with the spirit of death, shades of death right there. So any any type of occult involvement, it can come in through various types of idolatry in people's lives. It can come through uh, sexual immorality, uh, different ways that people defile their bodies. So these are different doorways, but ask the Lord, what is the legal ground? And if you'll go into the courtroom of heaven and you'll pray in the courtroom and ask, and this is powerful if you learn to pray in the courtroom, that God, God help, maybe pray that God help you there because there's some books that I could recommend by Robert Henderson and others. Uh, Francis Miles wrote a really good book here recently on dangerous prayers in the courtroom. But these, these help you understand that you're dealing with legalities in the highest court, the courtroom of heaven, where God is the judge. And as you learn how to pray that way, that legal ground be canceled then you can shift things and whatever door the enemy had, that legal permission will be shut by the blood of Jesus and that legal ground washed away. So that's a real key here because you have to cancel the legal ground. Now this thing isn't going to budge and that's not just with death, it's with any spirit. If they have a, a right to be there, they have some type of legal ground until that legal ground is washed away by the blood of Jesus those things are not going to go. And even if they do go, they're going to come back and possibly worse. So it's important to deal with that legal ground, okay? So that's number one, is dealing with legal ground. And when you do that, there's a principle in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, Isaiah 58, Joel 2, that I've taught so much about. If you put all those scriptures together and really study it, there's five is the number of grace. There's humility, prayer, and fasting, and giving, being a giver and consecrating your life unto God, really deeply consecrate, deeply repenting. Those five things are like God's prescribed way of humbling yourself and seeing tremendous answers to prayers. I mean, major answer prayers. But you know what else that does? God says he gives grace to the humble. So when we do those things, we're humbling ourselves in prayer, uh, humility, prayer, fasting. We're being givers, especially to the poor. Give to people and then consecrate our lives. Those five things, God says, I will give grace. So you move out of that realm of frustration, that level of fighting back and forth, and you begin to go up kind of above that where there's grace. So grace is something that empowers and protects. It's a supernatural, it means favor, but it's a supernatural shielding, it's a supernatural enabling. What you couldn't do, you say, Lord, I humble myself. I cannot do this, but I ask you for grace. And all of a sudden, the ability comes. See, the grace enables and it empowers and it protects. There's a favor is around the righteous like a shield. It shields us. So it's very important that we move out of that realm because, see, if you're in an airplane and you're getting horrible turbulence, you're in a storm, you can increase your altitude up and you can go actually above it. And that storm is raging down here, but you're just soaring in peace above that. That's entering into that realm of grace, okay? So it's important that we understand that humbling ourselves, seeking that revelation that we need, that's the key. 
and it takes us into a realm of God's grace, which is sufficient. All right. That's the first thing I want to talk about is the grace. All right. The second thing I want to talk about now is the blood covenant. And we need to understand that we overcome by the blood of the lamb. Like I talked about last week, we don't love our lives unto death. We're just crucified with Christ, dead men walking. There's, we don't love our lives unto death. Okay. But in that, we understand the blood covenant. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple quick things about this. So important that I bring this to you, the blood, the blood covenant. The Bible says that we are sons and daughters of God and that we are sons and daughters of Abraham and that we are a people of blood covenant. Even the, the word Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew, Yahweh Yireh, is it means provider. But in context, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, and God provided the ram in the thicket, which is, speaks of Jesus here, okay? And so God has provided the blood covenant. And we we enter into, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we enter into a blood covenant, which just very briefly, as you know, River of Life, that, that was something very serious. When two parties came together, the animal would be cut it meant in, in Hebrew to cut covenant because the animal cut in half, separated, and the two parties would walk like a figure eight through the bloody soil, understanding, may it be done to me as it was this animal if I break this covenant. And it was a lifelong commitment. Many times gifts were exchanged, um, oaths were exchanged, and they would sit at the end of that and have a covenant meal to seal the deal. But at that point, once you entered into a covenant, your enemies became their enemies, their enemies, your enemies, and you were in a blood covenant. It was a very solemn, serious, lifelong commitment. Now, when we accept Christ, we've come into that. So from our perspective, we better be faithful to our end of the covenant, but God always will be faithful. He is faithful to his blood covenant. As a people of blood covenant, he promises us that he would be an enemy to our enemies. So as you understand that, when you, I recommend people take communion every day and speak out loud because you overcome by the blood of the Lamb, word of your testimony. Speak out loud the promises of God. As you meditate on them, they get into your heart, into your spirit. And as you speak them, it releases great power. So here we are humbling ourselves, taking communion, remembering that we're a people of the covenant and we can bring us and our families and all that we own under the blood of the Passover Lamb. And that brings great protection from death and destruction. By taking communion, it's a way, blood is applied by faith, but it is a way of bringing you and your entire family, all that you own, all that you are, under the blood. And the enemy cannot steal, kill, destroy, cannot bring death or destruction. A curse by cause cannot light upon where the blood washes all that away and covers us. Great protection there. Remember Passover, death and destruction had to pass over, go to a different house because the blood was on the doorpost, okay? So there's great protection. What represents Christ's body and blood goes into our body and blood. There's like a deep consecration. There's a two becoming one. There's a union there with Christ. The Bible gives us a picture that it is a table in the presence of our enemies where our heads are anointed with oil and our cups overflow. So there is, there is something there about a table in the presence of enemies that they can't really do anything about. And also, there's much more. There's many people that are delivered of things and healed of things as they take communion because they're remembering 
for example, healing, the stripes on Jesus' back, and they're speaking all these scriptures about healing. By his stripes, I am healed. You send your word and heal me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from dead lives in me, gives life to my body. You're the Lord our God who heals us, forgiving all of our iniquity, healing all of our diseases, on and on. You can quote all these scriptures as you meditate on it, but it is a rite of the blood covenant that, that we have in Christ for healing, but also for deliverance. As you, as you partake of that communion table, you remember that Jesus paid for your deliverance. He hung on that tree, becoming a curse for you, blood dripping from his body, payment for you to be delivered from all the enemy's oppression and kingdom and works. Everything to do with death has to go. And the blessings given to Abraham are on you, which has to do with being the head, not the tail. That's exaltation. It has to do with healing and health and long life. It has to do with prosperity and abundance. It has to do with fruitfulness in every area of life, favor in every area of life, and victory over every enemy. All that is summed up there. So everything Jesus paid for, God didn't provide a whole bunch of different, he, he gave us everything we would need at the cross. It's accessible there, but it has to be accessed by faith, okay? So as we take communion, it's a way of, of coming under the blood. It's a way of consecrating your life. And it's a way of remembering the blood covenant, what Jesus did at the cross. It, we came into a covenant there and those covenant rights of sin forgiven, of healing, of deliverance, and all the different covenantal rights that were there. All right, so all of that is paid for at the cross. And then also not only understanding blood covenant, um, as we speak that out, but the word of our testimony. So we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so the word of testimony is where we're going to speak out loud that we bind the enemy and drive him out. And we use the word of God. Remember that out of out loud, out of your mouth, we renounce any agreement with the enemy. I, so if things have been in your past, Lord, in Jesus name, I renounce any agreement with suicide. I renounce any agreement with hate. I renounce any agreement with the occult. I renounce all of that. So you're, the power of your mouth is, is, is separating you from that, all that legal ground that you're renouncing it. Also, stubborn faith that like Jesus, you're using the word. It is written and you command Satan. In Jesus' name, I bind the enemy. I bind death and destruction. I command you to come out and go from me and my family in the name of Jesus. Right now, the Bible says that if we submit unto God, resist the devil, we must flee. The Bible says in the name of Jesus, we will drive out demons. The Bible says that we will tread upon snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall be any means harm us. As you use the word of God like a sword to drive the enemy out. And let me tell you that the angels hearken to the word of the Lord. So the angels will be dispatched to enforce the word of God. Okay. Also, we're using our God-given authority. We have authority to overcome the evil one. And so we're using our authority and commanding him to go in Jesus' name. The next thing I was saying, I touched on these last week, so this is just kind of a recap here, but abiding in the vine. So there's something about abiding in that relationship with Jesus Christ, where there is a river of life flowing, fruitfulness. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you want it to be done. But he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he gave the illustration like a branch. If the branch is connected, then it's going to produce much fruit. But if you cut that branch off, What's going to happen? It's going to, and this is interesting, it's going to move into a place of death. 
and a lack of fruitfulness. Think about that. So there is something about reading the word and getting into prayer daily, really spending time in prayer in the presence of God, cultivating a relationship, praying in tongues. As you develop that relationship, you're abiding in the vine, you're walking in the presence of God. There's life in that. But apart from that, there's death. And then the last thing is being under a strong spiritual covering in these last days that we're living. Psalm chapter 91, it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So there is something about secret place dwellers. So as we go to church, now secret place dwelling has to do with your own personal prayer life as well. But when we come together corporately and we're a people of prayer like churches should be, there's something about coming up under a spiritual covering of, of abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, okay? Also, Hebrews 10.25 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but in, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the Bible seems to indicate to me here that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, that, I think this is inferred here. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, that we see the day approaching, that the tendency for people would be to backslide and to get out of church. And we're seeing that today. But all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching, we need to be gathering together and being under that covering of the fivefold ministry. Where God has us in the center of his will, don't base the decision about where you go to church strictly on something like a youth group or you like their worship or something like that. You need to hear from God about where you go because there's a spiritual principle that covering has a lot to do with your spiritual well-being they can have a lot of really good programs but you really don't know unless god leads you where you're going you might end up being in a place that looks really good on the surface but there may be a lot of problems spiritual problems that you're not aware of under the surface that could try to reach out and begin to affect you and your family so you need to hear from god about where you go but get under that covering, be faithful there, be faithful in your attendance, be faithful in your tithing there, be faithful to come to the prayer meetings and try to serve and get involved. It's important because there's great protection in these last days by being undercover. It's going to be very important. And I sense it in River of Life. I sense the covering from the, the glory increasing. As the day is going darker, the glory is increasing. So anyway, hopefully this has been a blessing to you guys. Just remember these principles, cancel legal ground, drive the enemy out, but cancel that legal ground, deal with that legal ground. How did the enemy access? Also understand blood covenant, the power of the communion table, understand the importance of abiding in the vine, understand the importance of being in grace. That's huge, but also being under a covering. These are principles that God has taught my wife and I that has really revolutionized our life. And I pray it'll be a great blessing to you. But God bless you guys. Remember, River of Life, as always, we'll have a powerful Tuesday night prayer meeting coming up. So please be there. And I'm believing for an incredible meeting next week. But I pray that this will really feed your soul spiritually, that you're fed. You know, like the Bible talks about the shepherd leading us beside still waters in a green pasture. So there's there's a drinking of the presence of God, but there's a feeding on the word of God that we need. And I pray this will feed you. But remember the warning in James. James said to not just be hearers, but doers of the word. 
if these principles are applied to our lives daily, they're really applied. I believe that they're revolutionary, and I believe that they're the type of principles that will drive the enemy out of your life in every way and help you to come into the covenant, blood covenant promises that God has for us. So God bless you guys.